Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody and welcome to Pubs, Pints, People. I'm Ant Fiorillo and as ever I'm joined by the lovely Matt Bundy and new to this week, Claire Phillips. Hello Claire, thank you for joining us. Well thank you for having me and it's a pleasure to be here. Now Claire, we we know that you got in touch, she said she'd like to be a bit more involved in the podcast and we thought well let's give Katie a bit of a rest. I mean she is having twins for crying out loud. So Claire is going to be joining in Katie's place for this week. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about yourself, tell the listeners who you are Claire? Yes, yeah, so I've been a, a camera member for oh, quite a few years now. Um, started off just at branch level, helping out at local beer festivals. Even got on to the organising of local beer festivals at one time. And I've volunteered at the Great British Beer Festival in London. It was probably about six or so years ago, I think, uh, where I was working with the media team there and contributing to podcasts from the GBBF and recording interviews for the podcast from there for local radio and that kind of thing so when this opportunity came up I thought it'd be a nice way to to follow on from what I'd done there. It's great to have you on Claire. Now as Thank you mentioned you. last episode it is in fact cider month right now of course my favourite month of the year because <laughs> we're smack bang in the middle of an apple squashing season aren't we you know. It's, we uh, certainly are. Are you squashing apples in the garden Mr Bundy? I would like to be, but unfortunately my trees have gone biennial, oh. so I'll be waiting another year uh, and so on, apart from one brave uh, brave one, but I couldn't be bothered doing it for about three apples from one of the trees. <laughs> a thimble worth a cider. Yeah, it wasn't quite worth it, but I mean, what better way to celebrate than to help our listeners learn a bit more about the differences and similarities mm. of tasting real cider versus real ale? That's right. Yes, it's all about the beer and the cider this episode. And if you want to know more, as ever, those learn and discover resources just keep on a coming. Part three of How Cider is Made by the Ciderologist Gabe Cook has just been released, which is all about fermentation and maturation. And you can find a beginner's guide to cider terminology and a cider tasting video with James Finch, who we'll be having on the show this week. Gabe Cook, obviously one of my idols. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got all his books. And Cameron's actually working with him to launch a Kickstarter initiative to publish a book on modern British cider. I mean, that sounds like a cracker for me. I hope that happens. I think it's already actually beaten its target within 48 hours of launching, which is fantastic. Wow. And if you want to get involved, you can basically pre-order the title and get some great goodies with it, like a cider tasting or a signed copy from Gabe. Oh, so look mate. on the camera website for more. That's that's you made up, mate, if you get a signed book from Gabe, isn't it? Maybe, maybe one for your stocking filler this year. I'll see if I can hook him up. 
yeah. <laughs> well, listen, we've talked your ears off about cider already, but this episode is about beer and cider. Claire, do you have a preference? What do you tend to go for? I am mainly a beer person, I have to say, but I do like a cider from time to time. There's a, a lovely uh, local pub to me, a Camera Award-winning pub, actually, and they often have a really nice cider called Lily's Rhubarb Cider, which is a great one for the summer, I find. So, yeah, I think that's sort of my current favourite. I like the sound of that. I think I've only had one rhubarb cider before. That sounds very different. Well, well, Claire, as you and the listeners know, I'm, I'm, I am the cider drinker. I'm going to have to hold the cider for so you guys bleed. Two people. It sounds like you both do like cider a little bit, but I'm oh yeah, the, fir- yeah, I really do. Yeah, I'm firmly on the cider first uh, <laughs> side. So I guess I, I am team. Let's say for the sake of argument, I'm team cider, and you two can be team beer. Well, very and, good. And it should be a really interesting chat. And first, we're going to have a chat with beer sommelier and writer Natalia Watson, who will be discussing how to take part in beer tasting with our correspondent in the field. Jack Taylor. And then Susanna Mansfield will sit down with James Finch, who we mentioned has done a great video for camera on cider tasting, to learn what to look for when you're sampling a real cider. That's right, we're in for a world of fun. So listeners, grab yourself a glass of beer and or cider. Probably not the same in the same glass though. Sit back, relax and let round one begin. It's over to you, Jack. Well Nat, welcome to the podcast. You're a beer sommelier. What does it really mean? Sure. So it just means that I am able to talk about beers in a way that can hopefully encourage other people to want to learn more about them. So really our job as beer sommeliers or as beer professionals is to help other people learn more about beer and understand how it's made and the amazing flavors that are in it and some of the stories behind different beer styles and hopefully evangelize other people to love it as much as we do. And what got you into into beer in the first place? Well, it's a bit of a strange story, actually. I was at graduate school for public health, of all things, and uh, there I was introduced by some friends to, to good beer. And I think from there, I just kind of really enjoyed learning more about it and kind of got bitten by this bug and, and it's seen me still want to continue on this journey of discovery. I was fascinated by the flavors and conveniently before going to public health school, I studied microbiology. So I kind of got interested in understanding the science behind beer and where these flavors came from. And that's still what is driving me today. And so how do you become a a professional in this? So there is a uh, program that you can go through, through the Beer and Cider Academy, and that is where you become an accredited beer sommelier. So you go and take three day-long courses, the foundation course, the advanced course, and how to judge beer. And then you take an exam at the end of each one. Then you go home and study for quite a while, doing some self-study and understanding different beer styles and putting together a portfolio of evidence of events you've hosted or talks that you've done and beer and food pairing recipes that you've created or beer and food pairing dinners you've hosted. And then from there, you sit in an assessment and it is an oral assessment and you have 15 beers in front of you that you then blind taste to be able to test your knowledge of talking about the style, identifying the style suggesting beer and food pairings for the style and then you also have to identify five off flavors as well so it's very much about learning not only how to identify the beers but how to talk about them in a way that can bring other people into this world too it is quite funny when I tell people tasting beer is my homework sometimes you know most people think it's just an enjoyment thing and there is still a lot of enjoyment in it but yes we can taste beer with sort of a more critical eye to understand where the flavors are coming from what flavors are present uh, why they're characteristic of a certain style if there's anything wrong with the beer And recently you've been setting up a beer school during lockdown. 
Yes, so that actually all was born out of the fact that I wrote a book about the history of beer, again, from my studies, learning all these fascinating stories about how different beer styles developed. I wanted to make those easier to share with people. And unfortunately, the week that I was due to have my book launch was the week that all of the people were told to avoid going to pubs. So in April, I decided, well, if I can't have my launch, I will do a, a virtual book club and talk people through a chapter of the book, and we can all sort of learn more about it together. And I gave people the director's cut. So here's the sources I went to for this, and here's the bits I had to cut out that I didn't have room for, etc. And at the end of that month, we actually just really enjoyed getting together and chatting about beer once a week. We decided to keep it up. So it took a new shape starting in May as a virtual beer school. We crowdsourced the topics, so everyone got to suggest what they wanted to learn more about. So we've done things like a guided tasting to cask beers, to French and Japanese beers, to sort of beers uh, from non-traditional brewing countries. And we've kept it up every week, and it will be going into our fourth month now carrying it on in August. And then actually starting in September, sort of as school gets back in season, I'm going to slightly formalize the program and turn it into a 12-week program to prepare people for the certified beer server exam, which is offered by the Cicerone Certification Program. It's their first level of qualification. Our listeners, how could they get involved in this? So it's all hosted on my website, discoveringbeer.co.uk. And I've got loads of content on there about how to taste beer, what beer is made from, and how beer is made. And then also from there, you can find more information on Virtual Beer School. It's open to everyone. Previously during lockdown, it was something that I had organized for free. And now this 12-week program will be a more formal, paid-for program. But it's only £25 a month. We'll get to meet once a week on Thursdays for an hour and a half. You'll have some pre-reading in advance. During the first hour of the session, we'll chat through the reading. And then the last half an hour will be a discussion. I found that many people are really enjoying learning from each other, from different people's experiences and questions. So I think it will be a great way to all go through the syllabus together. And whilst you might not have been able to do the ideal book launch, the book is out there as well. So my book is called Beer, Taste the Evolution in 50 Styles, and it is all about the history of beer. So it's essentially a taster's guide through the history of beer. And as I mentioned during my studies, I was learning all of these fascinating stories about how different styles developed with very unexpected influences, or how one style spurred on the creation of another style. All of these stories were buried in a slightly longer book or listed at the bottom of a style description, and I just really wanted to bring them to the surface, because for me, when you understand the different styles in context, it's so much easier. And you do it in 50 styles. Well, one of the things I really enjoy, and I suppose it's a nod to working for Duval for so long, uh, but there's of course a a strong, well-known Belgian blonde ale called Duval. It was first brewed in the 1920s, after World War I, and it was then called Victory Ale when it was first brewed, named Duval because that means devil in Flemish. And it's because it took on a gold color in the 1970s, and people thought it looked just like a pale lager, but it's actually 8.5% alcohol. So that's where this idea of it being a bit of a devil comes from. Where the brewers got the inspiration to make this very strong, initially dark beer was from English barley wines and Scottish wee heavies because they were brought over by soldiers during the war. So there's all of these deep links between different beer styles that many people don't realise. Beer's kind of changed over time, hasn't it? Oh my goodness, yes indeed. Porter is a great example of that. Uh, So Porter dates back to the 1600s, 1700s, and it's sort of the first industrialised beer style initially brewed here in London. What we think of as English Porter today is very different than how it tasted back then. But taking people through the evolution shows you not only how much brewing has advanced as an industry, how our tools and techniques have changed, how our ingredients have changed, and being able to piece those things together I think gives us so much more appreciation for how we got to where we are now. If I was to go to my local pub order a beer what am i looking for what am i hoping to taste what should i be thinking about 
I always like to talk to people simply about how to taste beer because we all have senses and we all eat and drink on a daily basis. So to become better beer tasters or to even start thinking about our beer in a different way, we simply just need to use the senses that we already use day in and day out, but apply them to our beer. So when it comes to beer tasting, many people think it's just about tasting, but that's actually not true. A beer tasting in a more formal sense is a four-step process that involves thinking about what our beer looks like, smells like, tastes like, and feels like. So in a beer tasting, it's not actually till step three that we taste the beer. Looking at our beer's appearance, there are three C's that we want to think about, which are color, clarity, and carbonation. So beer color can be quite helpful in setting expectations for some of the flavors that we might find. So as you know, if you've had a pale beer, it tastes a bit more bready or like crackers. Whereas if you move to an amber beer, it's a bit more like a digestive biscuit. Then when you get to a dark beer, it's more like coffee or perhaps even burnt toast. So again, we shouldn't judge our beer by appearance alone. We do want to make sure we taste it and assess those things, but it's a good way to sort of start setting expectations. The clarity of a beer, whether it's clear or hazy, can set expectations for texture. So very clear beers will be lighter in body compared to something like a German wheat beer, which is naturally hazy from the wheat that it contains and sits a bit heavier on the palate. And then carbonation, the amount of foam on top of the beer, can be an indicator of the level of fizz to expect. You can't just look at a beer and think you know what you're going to find. So it's important to move on to smelling the beer and tasting the beer as that will then either confirm or not confirm what we were expecting from the appearance. And interestingly, aroma is such an important part of the beer tasting process because flavor is a combination of aroma and taste. We only have five basic tastes, but we can pick up on thousands of different aromas. So make sure that you make time to give your beer a swirl and stick your nose in there and pick up on the aromas. As we swirl the glass, the bubbles come out. And because we detect aroma molecules in air, that means that we're going to then have the aroma molecules rise up out of the glass too. So swirl it, stick your nose in there and take a nice short sniff to see what you can pick up. And that will be a helpful indicator. So I've looked at it. I've smelt it. It's time to now put it to my lips. What do I, I need to do? So yes, when it comes to tasting our beer, we've all got five basic tastes, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and umami or savory. We can actually find all five basic tastes in beer, but some are more common than others. Mainly we're looking for a nice balance between sweetness and bitterness. So when we're tasting a beer, we've got taste receptors for all of those five tastes across the tongue. So take a sip, give the liquid a slight swish so it coats your whole palate, and then actually be sure to swallow your beer because flavor perception continues after swallowing, particularly for bitterness, which is important in most beers. And then I've got one last tip for you on aroma. After we swallow the beer, if you keep your mouth closed and breathe out through your nose, you got to think about it the first time you do it, but it will come naturally after that. We actually can pick up on more aroma that way. It's a technique called retronasal breathing. And by simply breathing out through the nose, the liquid has warmed. So we're getting more aroma molecules from it. And some of the enzymes in our saliva have started to break down some other aromatic compounds. So it gives us a second sort of aroma hit. It's a much better way to experience aroma. When you're drinking a wine tasting, for example, you take it in the mouth, you swill it, and then you spit it out, but not with beer. My understanding is because, of course, wine doesn't have that bittering component that beer does. It's not as important to swallow it for us to detect those flavor compounds. But also because of the strength of wine, as it's typically, say, between 12 and 13%, beer tends to be a lot lower in alcohol, closer to 4 or 5% ABV. And so what do you say to people who say, all beer just tastes the same? I've had one and they're all the same. I think for me, it's just encouraging people and sort of almost putting the beer in their hand. So I love hosting tasting events and providing people with a small quantity of lots of different styles to taste and really opening people's minds. So many people think, of course, that beer is just pale lager because that is the most accessible style. There really is a flavor for everyone. But of course, there is that risk. You're at a pub and you don't get a chance to try it. A lot of people don't want to spend six pounds on something they may not like or, you know, open a bottle of something and find that it's not for them. So I think going to tasting events or doing tastings with friends is a really great way to get to try a bunch of different styles. 
And to taste with food is is becoming more and more popular as well. Yes, definitely. So beer and food pairing is a really fun way to bring people in. First up, the intensity. So you want to make sure that the beer isn't going to overpower the food, and similarly, the food won't overpower the beer. Then from there, we want to think about how those flavors interact. And the main ways we look at it, again, we've got three Cs. <laughs> the flavors can be complementary. We can have contrasting flavors for using beer's cutting property, which is a really nice way to use the bubbles in beer to help kind of scrub off any fat off the palate. So some of those complementary flavors are, of course, using a nice chocolatey porter with a chocolate cake. Contrasting flavors would be something like a roasted stout with oysters. The salinity of the oysters actually makes the stout seem a little bit sweeter. And then, as I mentioned, that cutting property, uh, we can also use it in a different way. We can use the malt sweetness of a slightly sweeter beer to calm down a spicy meal, for example. So there are lots of different things that we could play with. Now, what would you be taking to your desert island and why? I would like to drink a beer that I know is going to be nice and refreshing, not too strong in ABV, lots of flavor. So I would probably pick something like the Colonel Table Beer. It's a brilliant low alcohol pale ale that always has interesting hops. And so you're sat back on this beach, you've, you've got this beer in your hand, what food are you having with it, Nat? Oh dear, maybe I shouldn't admit this. If I was on a desert island, I would probably just happily have my beer. I wouldn't be fussed about the, the food pairing aspect. My goodness, that beer sommelier training course sounds really intense. I've no idea how much homework and portfolio building was required to, to get that sort of accreditation. Yeah, I mean, it's not for the faint-hearted, is it? But, I mean, if, if it's something you're passionate about, then why not go for it? I mean, as a service to listeners, I'd be more than happy to help out with the kind of the, more the sipping side of the homework. <laughs> if anybody wants to have a go and maybe focus on the paperwork, we could, we could join up. You know, let's, let's become beer sommeliers jointly together. That sounds good to me. Yeah, well, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound, absolutely. Now, listen, make sure you check out Nat's book, Beer Taste, the Evolution in 50 Styles. What a great way to look at it. I really like that. It's really interesting to hear how beer has changed so much over the years as well, isn't it? I was surprised to hear that uh, the one which started as a darker beer actually became lighter. Love that. The Duvel, that, that's right. I mean, it really is strong. It's a bit of a devil. And what a great description. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do the wordplay around here, thank you. <laughs> but the, uh, of the, uh, I didn't realise that you can't officially call yourself a beer taster just because you can chug down a beer. Yeah. So I guess I'll have to stop wearing my homemade resident beer taster badge. <laughs> which uh, yeah, I can't officially call myself a beer taster. But if I did the beer, the beer sommelier toss, of course, then I guess I could. And there's a bit more that goes into it. And what do, what is it that Nat said? She says you use look, smell, taste, feel to get the full picture, yeah? Well, the smell really is important. I mean, I'm sure we're all aware how much the aroma of a beer can really make or break it uh, when you first have that first nose or first sip. And you notice how bland everything tastes when you've got a blocked nose as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Funny side fact. Did you know that the environment can actually have a huge impact on how something tastes too? It's why the ambience and glassware is often so important in restaurants. That's why you get the really fancy oversized stuff. Because um, even the lights and the music can change how your brain interprets the flavours and the smells. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Maybe that's why beer always tastes so much better in a pub. I agree with that. I love the taste of the ambience, as Mickey <laughs> Flanagan always uh, puts it. And I'd say on that note, because I want to taste a beer in my favourite pub uh, long into the future, my favourite ambience, now, remember that it's actually a, a really, really tough time yeah. for pubs and brewery at the moment. Incredibly hard hit, particularly now with the new rules that have just come in 
on further lockdown and restrictions, tightening even more. I mean, it's really a crunch point for beers and pubs as we know it. It's just almost like two steps forward and 25 steps back, isn't it? You know, absolutely. Some of you may have seen that Camera has launched a new lobbying campaign urging the government to offer greater support for effective businesses. Now, listen, this is really important. You can write to your MP today by visiting camera.org.uk forward slash save our pubs, all one word. Or you can check out that social media feed for details as well. Remember, we're on Twitter at pubs pints people and if you haven't given us a follow already give us a follow get involved find the find the main camera channel if you like as well for more updates that's really easy that's at camera underscore official let's get lobbying let's get these pubs saved folks and you might even have had an email from your branch as, as i have which tells you who your mp is or, or if your branch covers several mps areas that'll be in the email as well so it even gives you who to to get in touch with on this campaign well we've been talking about beer and it's time to turn our attention now to cider so we already know from previous podcasts that beer can be used in so many different ways in cooking and I know that through practice as well and this week Sue is treating us to a lovely cider recipe now I I know that cider can find its way into both sweet and savoury recipes really well for example it does go nicely with pork you're right there it is a a traditional delicious pairing one of my favourites as well and it's actually exactly the way Sue's decided to go this week. But she's got a very exotic. She's got for sweet and sour pork with oh. cider. Oh. A, a jewer, as she calls it. Uh, Penzance be a panjin, <laughs> I, I would say. You know, as she, as, she brilliantly, uh, as she brilliantly puts it. Sounds really lovely. Oh, Sue. Yes, this week she's mixed together the flavours of the Chinese-style sweet and sour pork, but actually puts it uh, into a casserole for us. So it's nice and easy. Uh, perfect for this colder weather, which we're slowly seeing creeping in. Uh, now, the cider she's chosen to go with the recipe is the Cornish Orchards Gold Cider, uh, which she describes as having a really sweet and sour tone to it, which sounds like a perfect pairing for this dish, right? I mean, that is a cracking cider. I mean, I, I hope she's got two bottles and you can have a drink of it while the other one goes into the food. I think that would be perfect. <laughs> a double whammy. Um, and don't forget to check out the recipe in the show notes and over on our Twitter for more and now fill up your cider glasses everybody and let's carry on the cider chat with a sit down with james finch and Susanna mansfield and we're going to learn about my favorite topic cider tasting before we start talking about how you actually taste cider let's have a chat about the image problem cider's image is definitely something that needs work and I don't think it's a singular thing either. I think there's lots of different uh, images or negative images in particular that, that people have associated with cider over the years, whether it's bad experiences from youth sitting on park benches drinking cider out of plastic bottles or holidays in the southwest where you bought some scrumpy from a farm. And, you know, in, in both cases, you woke up the next morning with a hangover you don't want to repeat. And so there is something about that that needs to be looked at and kind of brought into the modern age and talked about um the fact that cider has way more to it than just those two experiences and those two types if you know that there is this range of stuff out there what should you look for one of the things i've always wanted to push from the start as i went on my kind of cider journey was transparency because i didn't realize in the beginning you know the the difference between the mainstream that you find in most most bars most pubs and and smaller scale craft products, the laws around it and what you were allowed to make, how much juice you were allowed to use. Um, so having that transparency of label where you're listing ingredients and you're saying why yours is different to what you'll find normally on tap is really key. 
craft has to help itself to stand out and there's so much provenance and passion with um with small cider making um and there's there's so much heritage and and a connection to the land that that should be really celebrated and you have to shout about it you have to tell people so embracing things like social media uh, getting in touch with your customers and your consumers and showing them how you're different and how cider is such a broad category and all all the different varieties and styles there are will help people to appreciate and realize the difference and how to to find the ones that they're going to like and how to pick them out as different from what they used to the transparency thing is a really interesting one for me as a bar owner because when i first opened the pub we were stocking bag in box ciders because we've been camera members for donkey's years and and we kind of knew that bag in box cider was good cider so we were avoiding keg cider and we stopped bag in box cider and um i didn't actually know the stuff that i know now that allows me to differentiate between who i precisely want to buy from and you're right that's that's a bit of a myth isn't it because um you know, just because it is in that format doesn't necessarily mean it is real for you know whatever whatever yeah. your definition of real is um but it, it's you know cider is a category i think and a drink that's been exploited a little bit over the years unfortunately um and as it's increased in production you know um it, big companies have looked for ways to do things a bit cheaper and that means that they've lost that kind of uh, heritage and identity of using you know the whole apple and nothing but the apple you, you have to be wary and so i think it's looking out for ingredients where you can get them. It's looking for links to how they're made um, and a story behind the drink. So, uh, and it's also relying on kind of the, the, the landlord and the uh, the bar person to know a bit about it and and answer your questions that will give you an idea that this is something that's got got more to it. Is there anything that you look out for when you go into a pub to say? this pub cares about it knows a little bit about it yeah for me it's uh it's variety and the way it's stored and the way it's served so storage is important especially when we're talking about bagging boxes because i think there's a lot of uh, establishments uh, i don't know how widespread it is to be fair but there's a lot that will store it just on the bar um at room temperature and that's not optimum to keep the cider fresh mm-hmm. um it's it's much better to to serve it a little you know a little bit of cellar temperature uh, like you would with your your beers, the the container that they serve it to you in definitely gives you an idea of whether they understand what they're serving. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I yeah. personally am a massive fan of serving our ciders in stemmed half glasses. Reminds me of those wonderful cider flutes that you see at the cider museum in Hereford as well. Oh, they they're beautiful, aren't they? Several hundred years old and so intricate. Just speaks of the history, doesn't it? That I mean, not many people know that cider is basically our native wine, and you know. Back in the 17th century, it was it was a, a pinnacle, really, because it was enjoyed by not just the farm workers as payment, but there was also experiments going on with, um, you know, carbonating the bottle. Uh, that's where we believe the um, ver anglaise, the, 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 strength, the strength of the glass that's used to make champagne, was originally made and discovered. So, you know, potentially cider is the original champagne for want of a an, another way of describing it so you've got your cider you've got you know hopefully a nice glass a cool temperature how do you go about it next okay yeah so so this is the video that i i did for cameras learn and discover zone on how to taste cider a little while ago and i'd encourage everyone to watch that obviously but um but basically there's there's three steps and it's about enhancing your experience and enjoyment of it so step one is to look at it and you look at it because you, it will give you an idea of, of what you're going to taste. And as you enjoy more and more ciders, you'll build up quite a repertoire by, by using these three techniques. 
kind of find out what you like and what you don't. So when you're looking, you're looking for three things again. So there's lots of threes in this. So you've got colour, carbonation and clarity. And what you'll find, because cider can be made with different types of apples, you've got um, specific cider varieties that will give you kind of a darker, richer colour because they have tannins in them. And then you've got ciders made from eating and culinary apples, which are going to be paler. And perries tend to be paler as well. So you look at the colour to kind of give you that idea. And then the carbonation, you can get cider uh, still. You can get petillant, so it's got nice gentle effervescent. You can get champagne method, so, you know, full full carbonation that's going to shine in a, in a flute. Uh, and then you're looking at clarity to see whether it's been maybe bottled conditioned or it might have been sweetened with a little bit of juice, which will give it a cloudy nature, or, or whether it's crystal clear because it's maybe been filtered you know, or just naturally cleared, which which cider does much better than other alcoholic beverages. So after you've looked at it, you're then going to, to smell it. And I think that's probably my favourite bit because cider can yeah. give you such amazing scents because of the components in the apples. If you've got cider varieties that have got lots of tannins in, um, if you, it might be easy to compare it to, to wine, I suppose, because they're made very similarly. Um, red wine, as as you might know, is, is much more analytic. You can pick up things like wood and medicinal notes and spices and things. And then with white wine, which are more acid-led, you can get apple flavours, citrus citrus notes, those kind of things. And they are similar with, with cider as well. And then we also have people who are experimenting with adding adding fruit and hops and other elements to their cider. I'm not talking about um, kind of the mainstream fruit concoctions that are, that are probably a little bit close well they are close to alcopops and cider but there are people that are experimenting with hopped cider or fermenting co-fermenting together with other fruit pick up all of those on the nose so it's really interesting to to do that step and kind of get an idea of what flavors you're then going to expect on the palate you come to step three which is obviously the best bit when you get to taste obviously. it and experience all those flavors and there's something there's something for everyone listeners will probably realize now it's such a broad drink and so you, your tongue is full of receptors obviously for bitter salty sweet sour and then umami which is kind of savory all of those can be tingled by by different ciders so if you're drinking the tannic cider apple maybe from the west west country or the three counties you're going to get wood if it's been in a barrel you're going to get um kind of spicy notes maybe some cinnamon or clove those kind of things and then if you got a more acid lead cider like those being made in eastern counties maybe from dessert varieties like discovery apples and and bramley and things like that you it's amazing you can get citrus notes you can get green apple you can get a kind of meadow you know you, you can almost be transported to the to the orchard um and then perry perry is even yes. even more wondrous because <laughs> you can get some really funky stuff going with like tropical fruits and all kinds of things so there's so much out there at the minute which is fantastic Full Juice has to has to be mentioned first off. Great magazine, um, Pete Brown, uh, Bill Bradshaw, Gabe Cook, Cyderologist, and uh, Susanna Forbes from Little Pomona. They've been putting out a magazine quarterly. It was available in, in pubs before lockdown, but now they've gone online, so you should definitely check that out. We've got Adam Wells, who writes for Malt Review, so he's been, he's been a whiskey writer and a wine writer um, by trade and has now turned his attention to cider, and he's, he's doing some great content every week on, on Malt Review. And guess Pellicle magazine, so there's a lot of beer writers getting into looking at cider, and Pellicle have done some amazing pieces that look at the story and the people behind some of the ciders out there. The Discover Cider campaign, which is kind of basically what we've talked about on this call you know cider is a great category with with such a range and there's amazing diversity from bone dry to 
unctuously sweet from you know in a, in a pint glass to to have something in a flute it's it is the ultimate thirst quencher on a warmer summer's day but it's also there's styles that you can sip and savor on cool evenings and and some that you can pop at a celebration so discover cider is a great campaign to try and get makers involved with their customers and you know if you're a, a landlord as well and you want to get involved with some of the makers maybe even help go out and press uh, and get involved in the cider making so you learn a bit more about it now's the time because we're heading towards autumn and we're in autumn and we've got the the harvest upon us so you know great campaign just get involved Oh, what a great chat that I bet you was in your element listening to that, Mr Bundy, then. Now, I will admit, even I really want a cider now. And it just so fits, do I. It, it, doesn't it? It just fits in so well with the autumnal season, even if it is perhaps more associated with a bit of summer drinking. And it's interesting that the way they started the interview was talking about cider's image problem. And I remember when you guys were chatting a while back now on the podcast about the Apple Committee <laughs> and how it was formed to tackle that image problem. And it... It does still sound like it's a nut that's not quite been cracked. Yeah, I haven't had my invite to join the Apple committee yet. I've, uh, <laughs> I've mentioned, it, mentioned it quite a few times, hoping this secretive organisation are going uh, to bring me on board now as a, as a podcast host, but <laughs> not quite yet. Um, but I, I do hope it's something that they crack soon. I think we are slowly getting there. But it's tough, I guess, when in the cider arena, you know, many pubs, they have the same old dry ciders on offer or the very sweet and fruity ciders. Don't get me started on a fruit cider. I think <laughs> a rhubarb cider sounds nice, but don't get me started on the ones that are not actually ciders, but that are alco pops. The, the um, rhubarb as James one, mentioned. The rhubarb one does have apple in it as well, I can assure you. <laughs> That's all right then. I'll let, let me go with that. So I, I am... I am slightly ashamed of having worked on quite a few fruity ciders that I know haven't seen much of an apple in their lives, so uh, I've got a lot to make up for. You're like a coiled spring, Mr Bundy. (laughs) uh, Do you know what I do like from that interview, though? I do like that he describes cider as the original champagne. Uh, something very sophisticated about that and I can see why uh, it may be the case especially if you've ever had those large table bottles that are champagne style um, in shape and and corked they could be quite an occasion to bring them out they can and I thought it was interesting that the process of cider tasting is pretty much the same as with beer because we heard about those three C's again but I suppose you're going to go searching for sweeter more acidic flavours for the most part in cider what do you two guys prefer? Is it the carbonated or the still cider? Well, I'd say I'd love to say that I like the traditional flat scrumpies. You know, I've been on quite a few cider cider tours and cider holidays where you know, I can talk a good game when I go there. But I have to confess, just uh, just to you two and the listeners, I forgot. And the circa fifteen two thousand listeners. <laughs> I'll just 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 confide in you um, that I actually do prefer a crisp medium cider. Um, just don't tell the guys at the Apple Committee. Um, I like something that's slight, slightly carbonated, particularly on a summer's day. I think that is the perfect combination. If for me, it goes back to that um, conversation we'll have earlier about the ambience and the look and the feel of stuff. And I think if it's that hot summer's day, I need something cold, fizzy and refreshing. And if I'm going to drink it, I totally go for something that's um, a little bit more natural in colour um, and still and taste. So, so I'm not adverse to it. As I say, it's just not something I'll order first off. And that's typically because they tend to be a bit stronger. And that is that is probably the number one reason, because I can't I can't have too many of them then. And I'm over before the night's begun, do you know what I mean? Now, before we wrap up this week's episode, we have a short dive into the archive for you. We've been talking a bit about the impact of COVID-19 on our pubs and breweries and Cameron's latest campaign for additional support of these businesses. 
That's right. And we've got in front of us now the What's Brewing from July 1987. And it includes a reprint from the Times Supplement on Tuesday the 29th of April in 1958, which has this extensive map of the breweries across Great Britain and Ireland. And then it's reproduced next to an updated map in 1987 with the title, What a Lot We've Lost. Mm. Mm, it's a sad story. Isn't it? I mean, the, the article notes that the packed island on the left reflects the market before merger mania chokes competition, while the sparse country on the right represents the surviving independent breweries today, which was little more than 60 breweries. Can you imagine that in 1987? 60 breweries. Dear me, it was, I, really was a low point, wasn't it? I know, the map just, you know, you, you can't believe how few breweries there are on it, really. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we know today that the number is closer to 1,800. Um, but all the brewers we've spoke to recently have told us uh, on the show that, that COVID has been the biggest threat since the mergers of the 70s and the 80s. So it really is important to think now about how we can support the brewers and publicans before it's too late. It's no good waiting to see what happens, is it? Once again, the best way to do this is visit the camera website at camera.org.uk for information on how you can lobby your MP, as we've mentioned, about supporting brewers through the crisis as well. Check out Twitter for the links to the articles. And I would really recommend having a look at uh, this map because it's well worth checking out. Definitely. We'll be including the map as well, so check that out. All right, then. So I'm afraid, guys, it's been a wonderful chat with you, but it is time for our last orders. So what the two have you been drinking this week? Okay, okay. You're expecting me to say something now, Matt, aren't you? You're expecting me to say some wonderful, you know, out there cider. I'm not going to disappoint you. I've had a beer this week. (laughs) Ah, you had me then. I was excited. I thought thought I'd brought you along the journey. Do you know, I searched far and wide, but it was just nothing tickled my fancy. So so this week, um, the beer of the week is something that actually Sue mentioned in uh, one of her recipes in season one. And I had the um, pleasure of having it again this week. And it's a man's brown ale, a classic, really, isn't it? An absolute classic. I mean, this thing's only 2.7%. It's harmless, but so delicious and dark. And it's my ale of the week. Claire, what about you? Well, another dark one here. Um, There's a brewery on the Norfolk-Suffolk border called Ampersand, and they do a milk stout called Cocao, which I think is 4.8 off the top of my head, Um, and it is gorgeous. It's so chocolatey. Uh, It's a really lovely milk stout, and if, if you're not a milk stout or a stout drinker or you think it's not for you, I think one like this, a chocolatey one, would just completely change your mind. I absolutely love it. Ooh, and now come on then, Mr Bundy. Drum roll, please. He's gone and got himself 25 litres of... It's a beer, I'm afraid. (gasps) No! (laughs) No! I know, I'm letting the side down. Judas! I know, I have to talk about it because this is something very rare and exclusive, actually. So I've got a Brewdog beer called Old IPA. A-L-D-I-P-A. And uh, I don't know how it's pronounced, oh, but it's got a really I've interesting story this, about yeah. this. Have you seen the story? Yeah. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. So, so basically, it's a partnership between Aldi and Brewdog, and it started out as a good old bit of Twitter banter when people pointed out to Brewdog that they had a thing called anti-establishment IPA, yeah. which I think is very cheek- cheekily, <laughs> a little bit like the punk IPA, isn't it? And, and, and in response, so Brewdog came back and they said, right, well, we're going to make a Yaldi IPA. Uh, which apparently Yaldi, it's, I had to look this up, it's a Scottish expression of excitement. Oh, well, there we are. Apparently. There we are. We learn something learn every day so- on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, learn something every day. Oh, we really do, really do. Um, and But what could have turned into a nasty copyright spat turned out actually really rather nicely because Aldi replied, said, oh, we would have gone for old IPA and they had a bit of back and forth and they ended up making it. 
And they're actually planting a tree in the Brewdog Forest for everyone that's bought. So it's carbon negative too. I think it's a lovely thing. And it's, um, I think it's like a limited edition. So uh, I made sure that I sent a mate out on a pilgrimage to Aldi and I got one of the very few uh, cases. So I'm very pleased and it's very nice. Oh, wonderful. Well, I like that. So whatever you're drinking, wherever you're listening, we hope you have a wonderful uh, couple of weeks. Don't forget, we'll be back in two weeks' time on Tuesday, the 3rd of November, just before bonfire night, and we'll be learning all about the well-being benefits of pub going. I mean, you don't need to convince us, right? But we're going to be sitting down with Professor Robin Dunbar of Oxford University and beer writer Will Hawkes. So a huge thank you, before we go any further, goes to you, Claire, for joining us this week. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Good. Well, we hope to have you back on the show very soon. And remember, remember, our Katie's off to have twins in the new year, so we're going to need all the help we can get, as I'm sure she will. We certainly are. Hope you, we can have you back soon. Uh, now, it's time to sign off with a quote, as usual. Um, now, I'm a bit upset there's no Katie to wind up this week, because <laughs> if remember last week, she got very upset that I did a Donald Trump quote. She she uh, was shocked, I think, is yes. the word. <laughs> Even though it was, it was a critical of Donald Trump. <laughs> Uh, quote, uh, you know, she she wasn't happy with his name being mentioned, he who must not be named. Uh, so this I've decided to go for another American, of, I think, uh, of equal intelligence. And, and this one is Homer Simpson, uh, <laughs> car- <laughs> uh, cartoon and, uh, and uh, perhaps presidential candidate, who knows? Um, and he says, our beer, the cause of and the solution to all of life's problems. Oh, Mr. Homer Simpson, to you we salute. Absolutely. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. 
Beer 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Durges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia, Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.